All right. Well, good morning, Coastal. Man, wasn't that awesome worship? Very impressive off of the fact that Nate literally just had a baby this week. So he was awake at his piano the whole time. Super impressive. Way better than I could have done. Uh, yeah, right? Yeah, we can clap for Nate. That's good. Yeah, just one clap. That's all he gets. But, you know. Um, but yeah, and he's also got a Bible study this week if you're a student in 6th to 12th grade at Short Lane at 6 p.m. Um, so it's on Wednesday. So if you're in there, man, go. It's going to be an awesome time. He's a great Bible study leader. Uh, but this series, obviously, as we're going through, is called Core. Uh, and so what we've been talking about and the purpose of this series is to talk about what is the core of Coastal? What is it that we're pursuing after that we hope that people who come and call Coastal home and walk into our doors will see is the importance of protecting, watching over, being faithful to. And so what we've gone over is the importance of discipleship, how we do that through Connect, Grow, Serve. Uh, and last week, Pastor David gave an amazing sermon on what are the core truths of the gospel? What is it that we hold fast to? Uh, and that was just fantastic to hear about. Um, so as Pastor David mentioned, uh, I'm Pastor Wilson. I'm, I work at the Yorktown campus, but it's super fun to get to come up here and have the opportunity to get to preach, uh, especially today on today's message where we're going to be talking about watching over our own salvation, being watchful over our own salvation. Um, because a lot of times what we hear, right, we hear the gospel message and engages us, it grips our hearts, and we're moved by it. And once you submit to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the question is then, now what? Right? You have, you have that peak moment, you have that experience, but the question comes, what do you do afterwards? And so that's what we're going to address and talk about today. That's what Paul is going to model for us in Philippians chapter 2, like we're going to read about. Uh, so before we jump into all of these amazing things, let's pray. Let's ask the, the Lord to bless this time that we have together in the reading of his word. So, Father, we just want to thank you uh, for this opportunity to look through your word together. I thank you for the fact that you have moved our hearts to be watchful over the, the fact that you have saved us, Lord, the fact that you have rescued us. And now, how do we live that out in our everyday life? Lord, I pray for all the different things that are going on um, in people's lives here this morning, that it would just take a back seat that you would be the focus of our time, Lord, that you would move us to know more about you, to love more about you, and that that would just overflow into our communities. And so, Father, I pray as we read the word today that it would, it would have power that shifts our hearts for a life change, Lord, uh, that you would let us see your love and grow in it, Father. And so we just thank you for all that you're doing. We pray that you would bless this time. And it's your son's name we pray. Amen. So, so Paul, what he's doing here is he's writing to the Philippians in chapter 2, and he's giving them this encouragement to continue to pursue in a life that's chasing after Jesus every single day. And so what Paul does, and to give us a little bit of context, is he sets up the scene by focusing us on Christ. And so I want to jump in really fast this morning. And so what we're going to look at is chapter 2, starting in verse 8. <coughs> so this is Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 8. It says this, and being found in human form, he, being Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." So what we see and what we're grasping from what Paul is setting up this morning is that Jesus, right, the same Jesus who was in what Pastor Davis 
David referenced to last week in Isaiah 6. When he read the gospel, he talked about Isaiah 6 and it set up this powerful scene of actually the throne room of God being worshiped. And there's these angels that are worshiping and there's this powerful reverence in the room. And Isaiah, who sees this, literally falls as if he's dead because his confidence is gone, his strength is gone in light of a holy and righteous God. And so what we see here is to grasp that this morning, to realize that Jesus, who is holy, who is righteous, who is eternal, literally came to this earth. He walked in obedience to God. He walked in obedience in times where he was hungry, in times where he was tired, in times where he was weary, in times where he was tempted. All of it was in submission to God, even to the point of being submitted to God in death, in death on a cross. And well, that's pretty bleak, right? But fortunately, the story doesn't end there. The story doesn't end with just a series of of suffering and obedience. But that obedience leads to something. It leads to this, that therefore, because Jesus has been obedient, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at that name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And so what I want us to grasp this morning as we think about what we're diving into is that every person, all of creation will bow in submission to Christ. You see, what Paul is setting up here is that everybody is going to have to confess that Jesus is Lord. The difference is that some of us will do it out of love and out of compassion and out of thankfulness. And some will do it out of fear and a sense of judgment. And so this morning, if you heard the gospel message last week of Jesus, if you are still stuck and not being obedient to him, my question is why? Why? You have had the truth laid in front of you. Now wrestle with that. Engage in that. Talk to people about that. Wrestle with God's word and prayer through that. So that when we submit to Jesus Christ and we confess he is Lord, it is out of a series of thankfulness. It's out of a series of love and, 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 a, and a compassionate relationship. And so this question I want to answer this morning is that if I'm in submission to Jesus, then what does today look like? How does that impact today? Well, what we should see is that a public confession of faith should lead to a life of integrity. The confession of Jesus as Lord leads us to a life change. It's not just something that we say. It's not just something that we sit in for for an hour, but it's something that should actually impact our life because now we are submitting a knee to the king of kings. And so if I were to be a representative of a king during this time, that people would go out and follow kings and be a part of a kingdom, then I have to understand that regardless of of where I am or what I'm doing or who I'm engaging with, that I am constantly in service to that king. And that service to that king is going to change my actions. It's going to change my thoughts. It's going to change who I am. Because when I represent the kingdom well, the king is pleased by that. And when I serve the king, the king is pleased by that. And so I should have a desire to be an ambassador of the king, to live a life that is looking for his pleasure. 
And so that's what we need to understand and realize that all of us will be in submission to King Jesus, but the question is how? And so Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13, Paul shifts from this view of Jesus and this overwhelming sense of thankfulness into how does this actually relate to my life? Why is this important for today? And so this is what Paul says, starting in verse 12. He says, therefore, because Jesus did all of these things, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul says this, he says, as you have always obeyed. So integrity in Christ means professing Christ publicly and privately. You see, Paul is pointing out here that there is a deep value to the consistency of the Philippians' faith. The fact that whether they are literally in the presence of an apostle sitting right next to them, whether they're together in corporate worship or whether they're going out throughout their business in the week, these Philippians have a mindset to always be obedient to Jesus. And that's something that Paul treasures and values here. And so my question for us is, if I were to play your highlight reel of your week on the TV, would it be titled that you have always obeyed Jesus this week? You see, because I know at least for me, if we were to play mine, it wouldn't. There'd be moments, right? Because when I get pressed for time, things start dropping off the list. And you see, one of the things that drops off my list when I'm pressed for time is my yard care, right? Now, unfortunately, I live on the main road. So everybody who drives by, when we start to look like the crazy house, everybody knows we're the crazy house. And so what I'll do to kind of find the middle of the road is I will mow the front yard. And so the front yard looks nice. Everybody drives by like, yeah, they've got it together. And I'm like, I do have it together. But the truth is that my backyard still rivals the Amazon, right? And so the reality is that my family and where we spend most of our time is in the backyard. That's got weeds and bugs and is overgrown. But I'm giving this ideal that my front yard and everything else is taken care of. But now I still have the stress of mowing the backyard because I've settled for a cheap fix, right? A lot of the times, this is how we live our life, is in the weeds. Monday through Saturday is just this big rush of hurrying up, getting to the meetings, having a meeting about the meeting, after the meeting, talking about different things, driving our kids to different places, and it all ends up this huge rush. But then on Sunday, we have 75 minutes where the front yard's got to look good, right? Take a shower, iron your shirt, whatever it is that you're going to do, right? That's going to make you smile and put it all together and make people think that, yeah, you know what? They're doing a great job. But the issue is what? I'm living in the weeds, right? Where the reality of my life is happening is in the backyard. And the danger comes when no one knows about that. The danger comes when I live outside of biblical principles, when I live outside of Christian community, when I live outside of a progressing relationship with Jesus. And that happens because the way my verse would read is that it would say, as you have selectively obeyed Jesus, right? Because I pick and choose what times of the week and day I want to obey Jesus. And we have to understand this is a really dangerous way to live our faith because what we're doing in that circumstance is I'm compartmentalizing my faith. 
I'm saying, okay, I can be in submission to Jesus from 12 to 1 on Tuesday, and then uh, 7 to 8 uh, on Thursday night, and then from 11 to 12, 15 on Sunday. All right, looks good to me. Great, move on. And that's a really, really risky way to live because what we have to understand is that any part of my life that is outside of obedience to Christ is still 100% rebellion to Christ. And so what I have to think about is am I always in obedience to the name above every name? Because you see, something I find so interesting is this word always. As Paul writes it, it encompasses all time. Paul says with your past, with your present and with your future, be obedient to Christ. So that means even the way I talk about how I used to live is in obedience to Christ. I'm not marveling or, or missing or reminiscing over some past sin. The way I live today sees the value of being a Christian. And the plans for tomorrow are to live a life of service to Jesus. And if we live outside of this, of always being obedient, that's a very dangerous way to live because Hebrews 10 verses 26 through 27 gives us a stern warning. It says, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation to judgment. To compartmentalize my faith is to proclaim that Jesus is only king of part of my life. That he's only died to save a part of my life. And that is not why Jesus died. Jesus died for the entirety so that you would always be saved within his sacrifice. And so we have to take that to heart this morning to challenge ourselves to say, am I always being watchful with my faith? Does today have importance with Christ? Am I called to open my word? Am I called to be in community? Am I called to allow it to overflow into service? The answer is yes. But have you accepted that personally? And so we must challenge ourselves to think about that this morning and our watchfulness of our salvation. So Paul finishes this charge by saying, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more so in my absence. So we have to see, and I'm going to give us these two points here, is that your faith is not dependent upon another person or circumstance. And that regardless of the circumstances, your passion for Jesus is continual. You see, so often I sit in these counseling meetings or I sit in these one-on-ones and people go, man, you know, Wilson, my faith just feels dried up. I feel so empty. I feel like I'm not doing anything. I wish I could just go back to this time when. I wish I could go back to this relationship when. And what we do is we try to relive the past glory. But I get that because I like Mission Trip Wilson way more than I like Tuesday Wilson, right? Mission Trip Wilson is awesome. Mr. Trip Wilson wakes up, he reads his Bible early. I think about who I'm gonna serve that day. I actually go out and put the word into action by serving the community around me. I come back, I talk to other Christians about how the day went. I thank the Lord for everything that happened. Then I go to sleep and I get up and I do it again the next day, right? Man, that's awesome and that's exciting. But we're not called to live in the past. 
And one of the reasons why I think Paul was able to be so effective was, yes, he had this amazing calling on his life. But also, too, when Paul thinks of Jesus, he doesn't look back to a moment. He looks up to Christ. And that's how he keeps moving forward. You see, as Paul here is talking about the, the, the call to encourage the Philippians, he's not saying, remember that one great dinner we all had together? Man, let's do that again. No, he says, man, you have been called by the name as of every name, by Jesus Christ. And so now do something with that, right? Because he's looking up to Jesus. And so often we live our lives like we just had this one peak moment and then we have to hold on to that peak moment for as long as we can. Because, oh, that Bible camp. Oh, that one, that one trip I went to. Oh, that one experience that I had. Let's see how long I can just protect that memory and then ride that high for. But that's no way to live our faith. Our faith isn't some antique that we experience and then put it up on the shelf in a protective box to just look at. Our faith is meant to be utilized every single day. And so this whole notion of having a peak experience of, of Christianity, we need to move on from that. Because if I'm looking backwards, I can't move forward. It's impossible. And so we have to be watchful over our faith to realize that it's not just for a moment, it's for a lifetime. And it's for a daily engaging lifetime. Because we have been called and equipped to serve Jesus. And this is why if you pursue Christ privately, you will be involved publicly. You see, even God is aware of our willingness to get stuck. He knows that we want to relive the past. And he knows that we want to stay where we're comfortable. And so this goes all the way back to when God was calling the Israelites into the promised land. You see, the, the leader that they're following, the person who's got them through most of this is Moses. And Moses has died at this point. And so all the Israelites are sitting there going, well, what now, right? What now? And so God tells the Israelites this. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And we forget that. Oh, God was with me here. Or God was with me there. Well, what about today? Is God with you today? Because I can bet you, here's the reasons why you loved that moment in your life. You love that moment because you were intentional with your faith. Christ was the center of your mindset and your heart. You were opening up your word and you were applying your word to your community. Those things are not specific to a place in time. That can be your Tuesday. But we must be, well, we must be watchful over our salvation, over our faith for it to look like that. And so that is why Paul moves on and, and he says, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. When Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians, he's actually in jail. A lot of people don't know that. Paul is encouraging somebody to be active in their faith as he is sitting in a jail cell. And so what Paul is saying there is he's saying, don't sit around and just think about all the good times we had together. Go out and continue to worship the Lord. Go out and continue to see that Jesus is real because Paul knows that he's limited in time and space. He's stuck in a jail cell. And the same way our peak moments of when we think that we were closest to Jesus or when we were experiencing it the most, those are stuck in time. You literally cannot relive that moment. But what's important to remember is that Jesus is not stuck. 
Jesus is with us here and now. And the power of Jesus is able to move through us here and now. You see, all the time on social media, I see posts like this that say, man, don't you just, Jesus, don't you just wish Jesus would come down and tell you what, should, what to do? Or, oh, wouldn't you love to get coffee with Jesus? And I'm like, are you crazy? You could talk to Jesus right now if you want to, right? But we think that we need to have this physical interaction with Jesus and, and that we need to talk to him face to face. And even if that were real, if I did get an hour-long rap session with Jesus, that's still 23 hours for me, me to mess up, right? Which is like 22 and a half hours way too long. And so what I have to realize is that Jesus is literally working and living in me and through me right now because he's not limited by time and space. That's why Jesus says this in John 14. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus is not calling us to live a faith or a life where we sit around and just twiddle our thumbs and hope that the best comes around. Jesus is saying, I have literally deposited my spirit within you so you may be watchful over the faith that I've given you. He says that you will be able to remember truths. You will be equipped for every and each situation. I'm not some person you have to keep coming back to. You have to travel to some specific place to. But I am living within you for each moment to equip you to live out your faith. So often we forget that. And so now, today, is Jesus living in you? Is he the one who is moving and equipping your life? Because if he is, and if you believe in the salvation message that Jesus came to this earth bodily, obeyed God in our place, suffered in our place on the cross, and then conquered sin and death by raising three days later, then you are called to work out your salvation to fullness. You see, because Paul says this, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's an odd thing to consider that after Paul just set the stage of saying, hey, Jesus has done it. He has done it in our place. That he would then tell us to work out our salvation, right? And what's really dangerous is that people have pulled this verse way out of context and they say, oh yeah, Jesus did half the load. Now you've got to carry it the rest of the way if you're going to make it into heaven. And that's not what this is saying here. What Paul is saying here is that God has called you to work out simply what God has already worked in. And so there's no doubt that from conviction to confession to completion of salvation, is within the full power of Jesus. But the answer is, are we responding to that call? Do we see the value of that call on a daily basis? So that Jesus will be at the center of our lives as we continually respond to him. You see, a lot of times people settle for a short salvation. 
And it almost relates to exercising, right? It relates to, to, have you guys ever walked around the gym before, right? And you see all these big heavy weights and they're, they're massively insane. And if you were to go over and try to pick it up, maybe you'd bend over and you'd get it two inches off the ground. And then you have to drop it because it's too much weight for you, right? That's how people treat their salvation. Is they think that Jesus just came so that they could be saved from hell. And so their salvation only moves them two inches. But instead to realize and to be like the people who work hard and train and practice that so that they can move the weight with their full body. So they know what it's like to move and have the satisfaction of lifting and moving that weight. And the same way to realize that your salvation has allowed you to lift and move and to realize that you've been called and equipped to be an impact in your community for Christ. And so you can have the satisfaction of knowing that. This is the importance of knowing that God has already worked in what he's asking you to work out. He's already done it. Just follow his lead and pursue the example that he set. And so what I want us to see from this verse and the understanding of working out our salvation with fear and trembling is that fear can actually be a motivating factor. You see, when my daughter starts to get sick, the first thing I do is Google what's happening, right? What's going on? What is it that, that's, that's going on? What is she sick with? Because when my daughter's sick, I'm going to pay more attention to her. I'm going to take better care of her. I'm going to change the routine because I'm afraid of her getting more sick. And so fear can be a motivating factor to be more attentive to what's going on. That's why in Psalm 111, it says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. It's interesting to consider that fear would be, cons- that fear would be a good thing because this rubs up against American Christianity, Right? Because American Christianity tells you, oh, Jesus is your buddy. He's your best friend. You can ask whatever you want to of him. But then here in the scripture, it says, I should be fearful of the Lord. But that if I fear the Lord, something amazing will happen. So what am I to be afraid of? And what am I to be amazed at? Well, I should be fearful because of this. Matthew 10, 28 says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Whoa, that's powerful, right? I'd say that's definitely something to be afraid of too. And so this is some serious power. And last week, Pastor David emphasized that we cannot underestimate the power of our sin to grasp and control our lives to a point that leaves us desperate. So how do I get in the favor of the one who can rightfully destroy my body and soul? Because I choose to sin? Well, Jesus tells us a few verses later, he says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. So what does that mean? That if I'm fearful of the Lord, I will come to know who God is so that then I can take out that knowledge and then serve with that knowledge of who Jesus is that I will come to know Jesus more, that he has saved me from the punishment of my sin because of his choice to love me and overflow with mercy and compassion. And now I can take that out and I can tell people about it. You can tell people about it right here at Coastal. You can serve with kids, with youth, in the community, and you can go and proclaim who Jesus is. Because that 
is the beauty of being fearful of the Lord. And that's why Psalm 111 ends like this. It says his praises endure forever. The psalmist actually ends up praising the Lord after being fearful of the Lord. Crazy to think that those two would go together, isn't it? That fear would move us to praise. But if I'm fearful of what the Lord is, of what I can be punished with, but I know that the Lord has saved me by a good understanding, then that won't just be fear. But that fear will actually move us to love. Because Jesus has overflowed in grace and giving himself for us. And that's why it says this in 1 John 4, 17 through 18. This is not a contradiction, but they tie together so perfectly. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he loved us first. You see, we're not called to be some sort of Christians living in a state of paranoia. Am I saved? Am I not saved? Did I live today okay? Is Jesus going to be happy with this? The list goes on and on. Jesus doesn't want us to be in that relationship for all eternity with him. Jesus wants us to love him. So let's love him by knowing him, by knowing how he saved us, and then going out and telling people that truth by serving the community around us. And so what we have to understand is this fear is a good thing because it's moved us into love, which is an amazing thing. And so Paul, he goes on like this to finish. He says, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So what is moving you? What is moving you? All of us have something that moves us, right? You get out of bed because you don't want to be late for work. You don't want to be late for work because you want to get paid. You want to get paid because you got to take care of your family, right? All of that moves us as soon as we get out of the bed. The difference is we let those things and settle for those things being the only thing that moves us. But it should be Jesus that is moving our lives and our daily direction. Because this happens when we have the ability, like we talked about just a few points ago, to place Christ at the center of our lives, to be in Christian community, to see the overflow of our faith into acts of service. That is how we move in a way that applies to every single day of our faith. So what we have to see is that we need to learn God's will and then be willing to work for it. What we have to understand is that very few people find themselves falling into a devotional time. No one ever says, yeah, I just sat on the couch and uh, an, an hour later I was just, uh, you know, worshiping the Lord, you know, deep in the Psalms. No one say I sat on the couch and I took a nap, right? I fell asleep. That's why I didn't go grocery shopping, you know? That's what we end up falling into. And so what we have to realize is that there has to be an intentionality. 
We have to make time to understand what God's will is in order to learn his will. That's why Romans 12 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If we want to know God's will, you have to do something that's radical, which is to read God's will. Amazing, right? And so what, what that looks like is you have to open up and you have to wrestle with God's word. You have to read through it. You have to think about what's going on. You have to come and hear it taught. You have to talk about it in small groups. Then you have to put it into action. This is the watchfulness of our faith that we're called to. It's not just listening to your favorite worship song on repeat till you feel warm and fuzzy. It's living it out, learning God's will and being willing to work for it. Because again, God has already worked in you. He's moving in you. So now just respond by working it out. And so when we do this and when we live this way, it will be that we start living for the pleasure of the Lord. You see, this hope this morning is that as you live for the pleasure of the Lord, as you see a call to be watchful over your faith, this is not a, a call to be burdened. This is not a call to add to your calendar. This is a call that Jesus has saved you, so now let's respond in overflowing with thankfulness. Be thankful as you wake in the morning. Be thankful as you go throughout your day. Be thankful in community. Be watchful in your time with the Lord because he is with you here and now. Not just stuck in some past moment. Not just something that you pick up for an hour a week but something that we can truly look at and be thankful for on a daily basis. And so this morning, as we think about watching over our faith, what we're going to do is actually take communion together. And so as, as we take communion this morning, what we have to understand is that we are literally reflecting on our faith, evaluating, Lord, am I being watchful over what you've given me? Because Jesus says this in John chapter 6. He says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus doesn't change his teaching. He stands by it and he holds fast to it. He says, literally, take this. This is the sacrifice I gave for you. And as you consider this, think about how you're living out your salvation. So if you're saved this morning, take this time as a time of thankfulness to what the Lord has sacrificed for you through his gospel. If you're a Christian who's living in selective obedience, then pray that God would break that in you. That you would be overwhelmed by his sacrifice his life, the example he set for you that would change in a true daily experience in how you live. If you're not saved, then just let the communion pass over you because it says this in 1 Corinthians 11. Whoever therefore eats the, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the, the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. Take this time and examine your faith. Are you living in a way that daily watches over 
and lives out what God has worked in. So what we'll do now is take communion. We'll do it individually as you take time to pray and reflect. And then Nate will lead us in worship and um, we'll go out and continue to praise the Lord.